Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here on this Wednesday edition of Hot Mike with Henry Withrow across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. Joining us as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Clay Travis joins us in 20 minutes and then next hour. Trent Dilfer on the show, head coach at UAB. As Chad likes to say, he has thoughts. Pretty big challenge for the man with thoughts this weekend. Yes. Going up against Georgia. Yes, and he loves the atmosphere between the hedges. We will uh, get his take on why he's loving this game so much. Uh, Chad, going into week two of the uh, NFL schedule, we had the Aaron Rodgers news. Dr. David Child joined us. And this past offseason, well, not offseason, during training camp, I want to give him a shout-out as we welcome him in, the pro football doc, uh, Dr. David Child, with us. Um, he told us two things. Number one, um, Joe Burrow, he joined us the day Joe Burrow went down with the calf strain, uh, day two of training camp, and he said, hey, you have to be very careful with this because if you don't come back 100% and you push it, you can re-injure this and aggravate it moving forward. That's number one. That's been a story because Joe Burrow is on the injury report uh, with the calf strain uh, issue. And he also said Aaron Rodgers, initial take, has a chance to come back uh, around January playoff time, no official timetable, but it's possible. And then all of a sudden, that was a headline a few days later. Uh, well done. Uh, and uh, I wanted to give you a shout out there instead of just pointing the headlines uh, across the, the NFL reporters uh, landscape there. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. And I think, you know, for OutKick and, and through all our platforms, Sports Injury Central, what makes it unique is that injury analysis, not injury reporting. So we're just not repeating what someone else says. It's primary analysis based on insider knowledge from my time in the NFL. That's why we come up with the Aaron Rodgers take or the Joe Burrows take, et cetera. It's analysis from 17 years in the NFL. Is it as simple as I'm watching Joe Burrow with the the, the calf issue on the sideline and, and I think back to, oh, he wasn't 100% whenever he came back and he's re-aggravated this because they pushed him back or he chose to come back too early? Well, I'm not saying push. Like when it was first hurt July 27th, we said calf strain, medial calf strain before Zach Taylor said it. And you're showing, you've got the video that you're going to show, et cetera. But really what it comes down to is we knew that it was more than just mild. And that's what Coach Taylor had said. And based on the video and from studying it, and we knew he'd be there week one, but we were still worried about the chance of aggravation. And unfortunately, that's now happened. And we've said this is going to bother him into October. And there's been a lot of talk about, well, Joe Burrow should just rest this week. Here's the problem of resting this week. If I were a team physician for the Bengals, and I'm not, and they have good medical staff, I actually know their head athletic trainer really well, really good guy, uh, very smart. My point is, if they knew if they're being told that rest one week and Joe Burrow will be 100%, I think everyone would rest Joe Burrow this week. The problem is 
This has been something from July 27th. It re-aggravated. Resting one week doesn't make it miraculously better. And can you afford Pro football doc? And the answer is probably not. They're 0-2 right now playing the Rams at home. You know, that's just a big deal right now in terms of what's happening. You cut out there for a bit, uh, doctor, but what would the rest be required to make this thing go away? Or is there a level that's even reasonable for Joe Burrow? If it's not one week and it's going to be better, how long would he need to be on the shelf where he could come back and not have any lingering issues with this calf calf issue? Four or six weeks. Remember this. This is a July 27th initial injury. This is why one week is not going to solve it. So I think at this point in time, look, if it's really bad, they may have to a little bit just to get them out there. Of course, they don't want to go start the season 0-3. I think only a handful of teams throughout since the schedule change in 1979 have made the playoffs after starting 0-3. Maybe they have them out there with some sort of ankle foot orthosis dynamic orthosis to help him it makes him a little less mobile but having joe burrow from the pocket is still an asset and if that protects him from getting worse maybe that's what they end up doing we'll see injury analysis with the pro football doc from sports injury central uh dr david chow uh speaking of analysis tell us uh just initial thoughts on what you saw from the hit and the injury for nick chubb on monday night and now the timetable of recovery which is going to be lengthy given all of the ligaments that were listed as a problem there. Uh, we just lost uh, uh, Dr. Chow there. We'll get him back. We'll try on. to reconnect for sure. Yeah, we so, will. so many, so unfortunately, so many injury stories to discuss around the league that we want to get to with Dr. Chow. Uh, Saquon Barkley officially ruled out today. This is a, a day after um, Brian Dayball said that he was surprised that Barkley looked so great. Uh, in, in talking with him and watching him uh, recover from Sunday's issue uh, with the with the ankle sprain. Uh, but they rule him out, and Schefter had reported it was a, a three-week type situation. Uh, but the short week, it wasn't realistic that he was going to turn around that fast, going from Arizona to San Francisco and, and trying to play. No need to push it, given no. the circumstances. Looks like we've got... Dr. Chow back on with us. Hey, so we were, we were discussing Saquon Barkley there a bit uh, in just the timetable for him, but uh, we'll get back to that in a moment. The, the, the question was regarding and the setup on what we saw from Nick Chubb and just the, the process now of him trying to get back to where he was given the severity of the injury. Yeah, and uh, look, better medical expert than tech expert. I'm sorry, I was on That's the okay. wrong way. No, you're good. My, my, it's my much bad. better now. Yeah, you can tell it's much, much better, better now. My, yeah. my, my bad. I should have switched. Uh, anyways, uh, Nick Chubb, here's the thing. I feel for him. Look, everyone saw the video. That's a knee dislocation. That's why we said he's going to get sent to the hospital to make sure the artery and nerve are okay. At least that's okay. This is his second knee dislocation. At Georgia, he had a knee dislocation. Same knee, a little bit different. Some similar, some different ligaments. He already beat the odds with his NFL success with his college knee dislocation. It would be unprecedented if he came back from a second knee dislocation to his same level. I hope he does it. He did it once. 
but the odds are stacked against him here with the second knee dislocation. They were against him with the first one, and he beat those odds. Hope he can beat the odds the second time again, but big hill to climb for him. Too bad. How how brutal is the rehab process for him now? First of all, you can book this one if he comes back, and I hope he does. Mm -hmm. It will not be in 2024. That's how bad the rehab is. Uh, the surgery he's going to have, he might have two or more than a couple stage surgery, fixing part of it and then reconstructing later. This is complex. This is Teddy Bridgewater-esque, right? I mean, remember his ordeal? Yes, absolutely. And Bridgewater is not even a running back. So 2023 is out of the question. I don't see it in 2024. I hope he can do it at some level in 2025. Well, Saquon Barkley uh, ruled out for Thursday night with the with the ankle issue there. Uh, Brian Dayball yesterday, they didn't rule him out yesterday, but did today. Uh, short week, and, and it had already been reported by Schefter, among others, that it was, was going to be a week-to-week -week deal. Uh, what's the process here, and was it ever realistic that he was playing this week? Never realistic playing this week. By video, we have him with a high ankle sprain. Okay. That's the Giants have never said high ankle sprain. The Giants said ordinary ankle sprain. They never specified high or low. Ordinary low ankle sprains commonly don't even need MRIs. They used an MRI. Yes, x-rays are negative, but we believe this is by video mechanism. Once again, injury analysis not reporting that it's a high ankle sprain. In 2019, Saquon Barkley, same ankle, high ankle sprain, missed three weeks. Are we saying exactly three weeks? No, but we were saying all along, no way Thursday, and iffy for next week at this point in time, and we'll have to see. And we found amusement in Coach Dave Ball. It's coach speak, right? That's what coaches do. Right. Oh, I'm not ruling him out yet. You don't have to. You don't have to rule him out to the final injury report. Now they have. So they're being honest with the injury reporting. And that's kind of what we do at Sports Injury Central, the analysis, not the reporting. Can you walk us through the sp speed bridge Achilles surgery that Aaron Rodgers underwent? Give us a little bit of background about this doctor that performed the surgery, who apparently is famous in this department, and your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers' comments that, hey, it's not out of the question, that he could be back for a playoff run with the Jets this year. Uh, the doctor is a very good doctor. Uh, he's more famous in sports and knee and shoulder stuff than Achilles. There's no such thing as an Achilles specialist, but he's a really good doctor. I've had the fortune of lecturing at his conferences and courses and him at mine. Very good doctor, top notch. The only thing I'd say is the speed bridge. Sexy name, speed bridge, sounds good. Reported as innovative. This technique was popularized well over a decade ago. It's not new, it's not shocking, and if he comes back in January, it's not necessarily because of this technique. It's good surgery and good rehab. But yes, I brought up the possibility of Aaron Rodgers returning, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. I think it's a snowball's chance of returning, and here's why. First of all, the Jets gotta get to the playoffs. Second of all, if they get to the playoffs with Zach Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers is somewhat ready, but not 100%, do you really make the switch to Aaron Rodgers? If Zach Wilson got you there, 
So if the Jets make the playoffs, Zach Wilson or someone gets them there, and Zach Wilson is now hurt, and Aaron Rodgers is maybe able to do something, that's the threading the needle where you might get Aaron Rodgers back. But I am confident he will be back in 2024. Uh, uh, Austin Eckler, week to week. What do you see in that? And uh, he misses another practice today. We know he's a, a crucial piece to the Chargers offense. He's led the league in touchdowns, total touchdowns over the last two seasons. By video, he also has a mild high ankle sprain. I think he be beat Saquon Barkley back, but this week certainly very iffy for him with his mild high ankle. But I do think he beat Saquon Barkley back. Uh, just, just to go back to Burrow for a moment, do you – you think it's likely he plays, and if he does, how different is it for him mobility-wise if he plays for the Bengals this week as they try to avoid 0-3? Well, week one, one rush for minus one yards. Week two, one rush for five yards. He's already not that mobile. It's about mobility in the pocket. And what makes it harder for Joe Burrow and, quote, easier for Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, it's front foot. It's Achilles. I get the difference. But Joe Burrow, it's back foot, push off with the calf. And that's where things are a little bit harder. But look, anyone who tells you that the decision has been made on whether Joe Burrow has playing or not this Monday night doesn't know. I've been in the rooms. You have an idea, you discuss it, but you got to see how the week goes. So don't know how this is going to go. If it turns out that he really can't be effective, they're going to need to take the week off. And if it were Brandon Allen as the backup quarterback, that decision might be easier. Their backup now is new, and the guy, Browning, has never started an NFL game in his career. So that makes it more difficult. So the team has to weigh out what is best. I'm sure Joe Burrow wants to go. The question is, can he? And he won't be 100% if he goes. But can they help him in a way he can get through the game? Because you really can't afford to rest him four to six weeks. So these are the kinds of discussions that will be had at the Bengals headquarters behind closed doors. Do you see anything in, in Kelsey, Travis Kelsey's return that it was of concern given the fact that he missed the season opener? Well, yeah, he won 100%, right? I mean, we knew that he wasn't going to hit his props and, and what have you. He got a touchdown. Good for him. Right. You know, uh, limited targets, red zone, limited chances. He wasn't himself. He wasn't getting thrown to downfield. He'll be better this week. Look, I was a little bit pleasantly surprised that he returned to play. But I can tell you, if Jay Glazer's report is correct of a deep bone bruise, 45 cc's of blood aspirated, pulled out of his knee after the initial injury, there was no possible way Travis Kelsey was going to be 100% in week two. Week three here, our sixth score, we're raising it into the 70s, high 70s. We had him in the low 70s, so he's better this week than last week, but still not 100%. Dr. David Chow with us, Pro Football Doc. And uh, I know the, the focus is on NFL, uh, Doctor, but uh, one minute left here. I, I know you've likely seen the hit that Travis Hunter took on the sideline of the Colorado game this weekend. What did you think, knowing that it's the liver and the recovery process? Well, when he saw the hit and it happened, I said, you know, worry for internal organ damage. Hope he doesn't have a lacerated liver was the tweet. He does have a lacerated liver. Good news is his season's not over. Good news is no surgery required. He will be back. The bad news is no more Heisman. I think everyone heard Deion Sanders' comments. Yep. Unfortunate. The good news, he'll be back this year. And, you know, it looks like he's so talented, he'll have chances to play at the next level and in the NFL. And he'll be back as good as new. 
but, you know, three weeks at least, and then we'll see what happens. Any concern with him coming back if he takes another big hit, or is this something that heals itself while you rest? It heals itself pretty well while you rest. And I get the words lacerated liver really bothers people because it's like a knife cut it. And how did it happen? Well, a fractured rib can lacerate the liver. But the other way the liver lacerates is just a blunt trauma. Think of mm, karate chopping a watermelon. You crack it, and, but that's you crack the liver, basically, you know, with, the, with, with blunt force. And that's kind of what happened with uh, Travis Henry. The good news is it heals. But like I said, it's closer to a month for return. Dr. David Chow, you can get the tweets uh, that he's sending out in real time at Pro Football Doc. Uh, thank you as always. We love Sports Injury Central and always uh, appreciate the visit. Yeah, let's visit without big time injuries next week, right? Uh, would... <laughs> Hopefully it's just routine stuff and talking about the NFL as opposed to some of these horrific injuries. No doubt. But thank you so much and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thank you. Always enjoy it. Yeah, lacerated liver, a, a bit different than the procedure that uh, is for when you hear it, than what Rogers had on the Achilles. It doesn't sound great. No. That's for sure. No, it does not. Uh, Dr. Chow, great, also great. Clay Travis, he joins us next on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back, and their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Chad, uh, we welcome in Clay Travis, who joins us, founder of Outkick. Uh, and for both of you, I will always listen to you moving forward on Tennessee's matchup with Florida. Um, the last couple of years, I have gone the opposite direction, thinking things are they've got to change. Like it, even Florida covered last year, and. I will always side with Chad and Clay. Well, at least forward. last year and uh, 2016 made me change my way of thinking at least a little bit in Neyland Stadium when Florida plays Tennessee. Just the fact they won those two, yeah. even though it's not many. Um, tough to have a lot of confidence in any team wearing Tennessee orange going to the swamp and I, beating I, Florida. I don't understand it, Clay. How does it happen? Well, I mean, I think one answer is uh, the SEC is not very good. Um that's been the trend lines of the first three weeks. Um, 
and every team, you know, when they're not very good, there's a lot of inconsistency. Um, and so I just, you know, for instance, look at, uh, look at the performance that was put up by Texas A&M at Miami or Alabama at home against Texas or South Carolina against North Carolina, even Georgia against South Carolina. Uh, but you start LSU against Florida state, Florida on the road against Utah. Everybody, I think in the sec so far has given their fan base reason to think that their teams aren't very good. Um, and, uh, and so when you kind of toss all that into the, into the hopper, I, I think Tennessee's just not particularly good, particularly on the, on the offensive side of the ball. And I think maybe we're starting to see the early aspects of what an era surrounding NIL is going to look like, but, and, you know, with the permanent opportunity to transfer as well. Um, but to me, those are the two things that kind of, uh, that kind of stand out at this point in time. How many legitimate title contenders do you see on the, the, the football landscape, Clay? Like it just, it, it, how, and it's just an average, how many more or less than the typical year that we've seen when the SEC is top heavy? Well, so, I mean, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the way that I would describe things as we sit here is I do think there's an argument to be made that college football is going to become a lot more like the NFL, by which I mean you can have a situation where the Giants go and lose 40 to nothing to the Cowboys, and then the next week they come back, get down 20 to nothing, win 31-28, and most NFL fans kind of look around and say, okay, one and one, not that bad. I think we've in college football gotten used to the idea of teams go undefeated and win championships. I think with uh, the transfer portal and NIL, what you're going to see, this is my early theory, is the ceiling is going to be lowered. That is, the truly elite teams are not going to be as elite as they have been in the past because talent is more evenly distributed. And the floor is, for the most part, going to be elevated because you're going to have talented players who say, "Okay, I don't want to be a second uh, playing second fiddle. I don't want to be the backup. I don't want to be third string. I can go start somewhere else now. And whereas in past years, they might have had to sit out for two years. So they would say, well, maybe I should stick it out. Now, I think when you have perpetual free agency combined with NIL, you're going to see a lot of people making the decision, hey, I'm going to jump now. And Clay, you look at the NIL landscape. You've got Gene Smith from Ohio State today testifying in front of this uh, on Capitol Hill with these NIL hearings going on. And he is claiming that multiple players are requesting $5,000 just to visit Ohio State in the recruiting process. It feels like all of this is going to lead to quicker anger from fan bases, if there's going to be this level of entitlement before they get to campus, these players, when things go south, we've seen boo birds come out. It seems like a little bit quicker in different spots. I think fans are going to be less forgiving and not as easy to say, hey, these are college kids, can't boo them, can't get that mad at them when things like this are are happening with such regularity. What do you think? Georgia is the two-time defending national champion, and they got booed at halftime against South Carolina. So, yes, when I was a kid um, and a young, <coughs> a young fan, people would say, <coughs> you shouldn't boo college kids. 
because they're not professionals. <laughs> now I think the new era is you will be booed. Take it away for a sec. Yeah, we, we got you. I'm about to jump in. Get uh, that cough up. Yeah. I'm telling you, though, that this, this Hutton is the one that I can legitimately look at and say, this is a problem. How do you if, uh, if you're requesting five thousand dollars to visit, and you can do that with every school? Yeah, and then you're just basically you're just pillaging people for money. But I'm thinking with no assurances you're going to be there. I'm thinking like, how do you approach Ohio State and say, uh, if you want me to visit, uh, give me five grand? I think about the scene from Blue Chips where Ricky Rowe goes to Nick Nolte and says, "All right, so for me to go here, I'm going to need fifty thousand dollars. You can put in a gym bag of cash if you want. I mean, Gives him all the things yeah. that he needs to sign there." Um, it's pretty crazy I'm, I'm to think thinking, about. I'm, I'm thinking, too. Yeah, and look, Go it's ahead. not only, by the way, that going on, guys. It's that when you get to visit Ohio State, you can get paid $5,000. You can also <laughs> then use them as a bidder against another school. Like, part of what schools have to figure out in the NIL era is, wait a minute, is that $100,000 offer that they're claiming is there from LSU or Tennessee or where is it actually there? Right. Because you don't have like some sort of, uh, some sort of scenario where uh, over time, for instance, I'll give you an example. If, if you go out and you're a free agent in the NFL and you're an agent representing a player and you get on the phone with a team and you're like, guys, I've got a, you know, $20 million offer on the table for my guy. Here's what they're offering. Can you beat it? If it turns out that you didn't ever have that offer, then the agent is not going to be trusted by the team going forward, right? There's a mutuality of trust involved. How often is the guy who is, uh, it's almost always going to be a guy, repping a player going to have a long-term relationship with a, uh, with a school. I think what happens is somebody says, okay, I'll give you a 150. And then that guy who's repping the player goes to the other school and says, they gave me a 150. Can you go 175? And it's like a public auction. Um, and part of the problem is there is no salary cap. So figuring out how to allocate dollars is very difficult. And everybody's playing by different rules. And then you toss in, that you may have 50 different state laws. And, you know, what is it that makes the NFL so good? It's parity, right? It's the idea that every team has the same amount in theory to be able to spend on talent. So it's not, uh, it's a relatively uh, even playing field and everybody just has to allocate their resources to the best ability. That's not really in existence right now in the NIL era. And even if it were, after a year, a guy can just be like, yeah, I'm leaving. Um, you know, you can't do that in the NFL. If you're a first-round draft pick, you're locked in for four years, and then the team gets an option on a fifth year. So you're locked in for five years before you could even consider the possibility of being a free agent. College football right now has perpetual free agency. Uh, two things that come to mind as I'm thinking about this. Number one, imagine us being in high school and playing at this level and the opportunity to go on all these college visits and be kings on campus with the player hosts and then the university or program hostesses for a game or game day or weekend. And you're passing that up because they won't pay you five grand. And the other thing that I'm thinking is Ohio State's being asked to pay five grand. I guarantee you that player would go to Colorado right now and not ask for anything. Could be true. Um, although, uh, again, uh, the other thing I would say is 
why has this potentially leveled the playing field? I think a lot of this was going on already. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of these guys were getting paid under the table already. And what NIL has done is make it a fairer playing field because suddenly so many other schools can compete. Remember back in the day when that Nevin Shapiro story broke about all the cheating that Miami was doing. Do you remember why Miami was like taking guys out on yachts and like taking them to strip clubs and all those things? A lot of people miss this. It was because they didn't have the money at Miami to compete to sign the top players with the SEC schools. They had to sell them on the lifestyle in Miami is better than the lifestyle is going to be at Auburn or at, you know, Ole Miss or Tennessee or Alabama or whatever, you know, these college towns. Oh, you can come to Miami and you can live it up in South Beach and you'll be able to go to strip clubs. You'll be able to go to fancy clubs and then you can become an NFL player. But in the meantime, you're living that South Florida glamorous lifestyle. That's what we can provide. It wasn't money. Uh, And a lot of people miss that. Yeah. Well, and that that kind of leads me to the U part two, which is what's going on in Boulder right now. They are the sexy program. I mean, they talk about this is Hollywood now in Boulder, Colorado, and it's moved to this college town. Clay, how sustainable is this for Deion Sanders? And do you see this as a program that even if they don't have the money to compete with top SEC or Big Ten schools altogether on paying for recruits, that can make it so cool and so appealing and have so many celebrities that eventually they're going to win a national championship under Dion. Uh, I, I think it'll be harder because I think most people, a lot of people say, oh, I'll take less money um, to go be able to compete for a championship. Most people don't do it. Uh, there's a great line Charles Barkley said, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, it's amazing how often athletes say God told them to go to the school that offered him the most money. Well, and Dion says, Clay, that God money. told him to leave Jackson State for Colorado, if you remember, too. God, God, yeah, God told him to go to Colorado. Uh, again, God, God, it's amazing how often God tells people to go where they make the most money. Um, and, uh, and so I tend to think uh, that most guys are going to go wherever the money is the best. Now, it, what I do think Dion could do is if you're, let's say, a junior – and you're thinking to yourself, man, I want to go get attention from scouts. I've got one year left in college. I'm not focused on the money I make right now. I'm focused on, hey, give me the best sounding board, the best, uh, the best jumping off point to go to the pros. I do think guys could be like, oh, Colorado's really cool. I think where he's going to do better is not in recruiting. I think he's going to, like in terms of 17 and 18-year-olds, I think he's going to do better in – hey, this is already an established player. I've got one year left in college. Where should I go? Oh, I'll go to Colorado. I think he'll do very, very well in the transfer portal. Clay Travis with us on Hot Mike with Hunting Withrow on the Outkick Network. Clay, I'll just make it simple here because we've got three minutes left. Uh, Could you see Saban retiring after this season, stepping away from coaching? Sure. Um, I mean, he doesn't seem happy, uh, but he doesn't seem super angry. <laughs> and what I mean by that is usually when Alabama's offensive line is awful, uh, everybody focuses on how the quarterbacks are doing. They can't block anybody. And Saban doesn't seem, I watched that whole game against South Florida, the whole game against uh, Texas. He doesn't seem furious on the sideline. And I wonder how much of that is because he is aware that he doesn't have a national championship caliber team and he's almost stopping to smell the roses. 
which is a very not Nick Saban thing to do. Um, and I also wonder, like, for Nick Saban, does he really want to be in the NIL era? Does he want to – I mean, the reason why he left the pros and went to college was because he didn't want to be dictated to by the players. I think a lot of guys who are in college football are going to look around in, a, in the next few years and say, basically, this is pro football, except I still get judged based on whether a guy gets arrested. Nobody ever gets arrested. Nobody in the NFL, by and large, judges a coach when a player does something stupid and gets arrested. I mean, typically, the coach never loses his job. I mean, nobody did anything to Bill Belichick when suddenly it came out that Aaron Hernandez was a murderer. Uh, when your players get in trouble in college, you get fired uh, eventually. Um, and you're held accountable for their behavior, by and large, in a way that you aren't in the NFL. And I just wonder how many guys are going to look around and be like, man, I didn't know I was going to be doing salary cap. I didn't know I was going to be having to go glad handle uh, and raise money so that we could get players. Uh, and I wonder how many coaches are just going to say, this is not really what I signed up for. And I think it's going to be more often the older coaches who just say, yeah, I like the coaching aspect and I like the players listening to me aspect. And both of those are being diminished when we have perpetual free agency and everybody has to get paid. Clay, final 10 seconds. Give us your best bet of the weekend coming up. Uh, the over on Kentucky at Vanderbilt. Uh, Blood Bank guarantee, tap the vein. Uh, it is going, I think right now, 49 and a half. It's going to surge well over that. Um, love the over in that game. You can bet this as if the game's already been played. Tailing it right now. Blood Bank. Uh, Clay, thanks yeah. so much, man. Appreciate you all. Have a good day. Yeah, man. Thanks, you too. Clay. Clay Travis, Outkick's founder, joins us weekly. Uh, I'm looking at Chad jump on uh, outkick.com slash bet right now. Yep. He's pulling it up on Safari, and uh, he's making that he's making that wager. I don't waste time when I hear a bet that I like. <laughs> Can't waste time, bud. Blood bank guarantee. Tap the vein, Chad. Clay said it's going to go up, 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 so I got to get it at 49. It's been a crazy news day for the Chicago Bears. We'll hit that, plus let's get weird with Davey Hudson is next. Hot Mike with Hunting with our rolls on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Glad you're with us. Our thanks to Clay Travis for joining us. Also, Dr. David Chow, Pro Football Doc, and uh, Coach Lou Holtz all throughout the show. If you miss any portions of the show, you can always find it on demand, youtube.com, outkick.com as well. Um, and coming up next hour, Trent Dilfer will join us. That's in about 40 minutes uh, from right now. Chad, crazy uh, story and a, a, a presser and a news day for the Chicago Bears. Um, but just based on uh, different things, but the main one being Alan Williams, their defensive coordinator, has resigned unexpectedly. Um, and he's done this after uh, he missed practice and wasn't with the team unexpectedly uh, in unknown circumstances. 
Uh, Matt Eberflus, he did not divulge any details about this. He just stated that he was taking over the play calling duties on defense. Um, you've got uh, reports that police raided the home. Yeah, not just the home. Um, the, this is the report. This is from John Zaglau, who is a sports talk radio host in Chicago, Hutton. He claims that Hallis Hall was raided by the FBI this morning, as well as Al- Alan Williams' residence. All happening this morning. Uh, breaking, according to sources familiar with the situation, both Hallis Hall and Alan Williams' home have been raided in connection with an undisclosed incident. Alan Williams' home was raided Sunday night after the team's week one loss. Hallis Hall was raided this morning. An undisclosed incident is interesting. Well, uh, Courtney Cronin, who covers the Bears for ESPN, reports that that is incorrect. A team spokesman, this is straight from her, a team spokesman addressed the rumors regarding Hallis Hall being raided today as false. We were also told that the police have not been to Hallis Hall in connection to Alan Williams. That's a report from ESPN's uh, Courtney Cronin there. Uh, Since, uh, Alan Williams has released a statement, uh, and now the former Bears defensive coordinator, uh, upon his resignation, they've already already removed his bio from the team website. And uh, this is uh, a screenshot of the paper uh, that... uh, a screenshot of the the photo that was circulating on the the paper that he wrote his resignation letter to. With great regret that I tender my resignation as the defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears football club effective immediately, taking a step back to take care of my health and my family. I appreciate the opportunity to work with the Chicago Bears, a storied NFL franchise with a rich history. The McCaskey family's first class, second to none. I'd also like to thank coach Matt Eberflus and general manager Ryan Poles for giving me the opportunity to come to Chicago I would like to also thank uh, President Kevin Warren, the coaches and players for which I value relationships and camaraderie. I value the NFL Shield and all that it stands for. And after taking some time to address my health, I plan to come back and coach again. That from Alan Williams, um, who is now the former DC of the Chicago Bears. So you've got one report saying that the uh, there was a raid on Hallis Hall and on Williams' home. And another report that says through a team spokesman, uh, of the Bears, that that is not true. That it's it's false in that regard. It's crazy because for it not to be true, this guy has a lot of details that I'm not going to read if the Bears are saying it didn't happen. Um, but the same sports talk host in Chicago has details on Matt Eberflus's reaction uh, when Hallis Hall was raided. But again, if a spokesperson saying it wasn't, then all we can go on right now is that Alan Williams' home was raided. Uh, this is crazy. This is, uh, as someone I saw on Twitter, right? This is kind of an Urban Meyer-like statement that I'm taking a step back to care, take care of yeah, the health of my fa- health and family. Uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, wild, and I'm sure the details are going to start to flow out here soon about what exactly is going on. But certainly doesn't look good. Well, you've also got Justin Fields on the same day, who's having to walk back comments after he threw offensive coordinator Luke Getzey under the bus for uh, his, his offensive struggles um, because he said uh, comments on his play had felt robotic. That was a quote, that it, a word that he used, and, and that the coaching could be the cause of, of that to spread far and wide. Uh, so you've got the uh, fields then quickly uh, attempting to clarify, coming back for a second media uh, meeting and address the media again in the locker room for a second time and said, I'm not blaming anything on the coaches. I'm never going to blame anything on the coaches. 
I'm not blaming anything on my teammates. Whatever happens in the game, I will take all the blame. Never will you hear anything out of my mouth that I blame on anybody else in this organization, my teammates. Never will you hear that, so I just want to clear that up. Just know that I need to play better. That's it, point blank. That's what I should have said in the first place, but I was trying to give you more details. That from Fields, who is off to a terrible start. The Bears are 0-2, and I said yesterday, Luke Getze, it, it seems like he's making, trying to make Fields a pocket passer, which is not working out well. It sounds almost like Fields was told, hey, let's walk you back up here to you know, not roll your coaches under the bus and make another statement. Yeah. It's a bad situation. The uh, unraveling. Uh, just well, the, the, the Allen Williams thing is a separate department of the no bad in Chicago. He had, been, he had been away from the team, but this is a bad football team, a bad offense, and Justin Fields looks like a bad pick. And if not, he's in a really bad spot because they're not helping him at all to do the things that he's best at. Well, you also have uh, another uh, reports about many higher up in the organization being frustrated with Matt Eberflus. So that's. That's the other thing. I, I mentioned, uh, I think I, we had an answer. Davey Hudson joins us. Uh, Davey, what was the question you asked about the proclamation, I think it was, about the college coach and what's going to happen? And I said, Ryan Day is going to be the next head coach of the Chicago Bears. Oh, yeah. I was wanting to get really weird with it. Uh, no surprise there about the crazy coaching move you could see happen. That all stemmed from the reports that Ed Orgeron and Northwestern were in talks. That's right. So, yeah. Yes. and the, This sounds like an Onion headline. Which? The Northwestern Ed Ogeron talks. Oh, uh, well, it, but there were, that was circulating initially, that Ed O. And then Ed O, Ogeron even had to clarify and say, no, he's not interested. Yeah. <laughs> that was very I mean, onion I, I joked when this first happened, and I said, hey, you want to go get a national championship winning coach at Northwestern? I mean, you want to talk about, the worst possible cultural fit. Right, yeah. If Ed Orgeron's best possible cultural fit was LSU, which it was, with everything, and that's Perfect. the one spot where he could have succeeded to that level, I'd say the worst is uh, outside of Chicago at an academically elite university that's never won. That would be the worst possible fit for Ed Orgeron. It was a weird report, a weird day. But uh, I'm here for it. At Hallis Hall, for I'm here sure. for it to watch it. It's time to get weird with Davey Hudson. And five, four, three, two, one, zero, talking now. Guys, it's been a fun day so far. Hopefully we can continue the journey. Our first story, we got a new world record. Okay. If you're interested, world's longest mullet. How long do you think that might be? <laughs> it's funny to me because um, like, it's just world's longest hair. Oh, we're getting very cute with no, this. No, 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 mullet no. is uh, certainly uh, styled a certain way. According to the winner, there's different. There's 19 I mean, different types of mullets. You cut the side of your hair a little bit less. Like I don't. Can can we see it? Yes, we can. We got a video All that right. we're actually going to show. A mullet. But there's there's no. I'll just speak over this. This is Miss Tammy <laughs> Manis. That's a mullet. And Tammy, <laughs> Tammy shouts is the out, perfect name for this she lady. She hails from Knoxville, Tennessee. So oh, that's my backyard. Of course, over does. there. But yes, niece Tennessee woman <laughs> has set the record for the Guinness World or the Guinness World Records book. Uh, the mullet is five foot eight. I mean, did she start growing this mullet in prison? Because one of those videos looks like she's in a jumpsuit, like she's in prison right there. She said she started, the mullet was born on February 9th, 1990. It was born? Well, I mean, that's when she decided to start creature, it. And 
when she started this thing hair. lives and breathes this mullet that it was born I, in 1990 i i just love the fact that i, I love that they're it's handing a, out world records for longest mullet uh, you think it's a, is it more of a kentucky waterfall I, I think or a mississippi mud flap that's definitely a kentucky waterfall that we're witnessing there okay uh, my guess is that she lives closer to the Kentucky state line north of Knoxville. That uh, is probably where she lives. Um, and her hair lives south. It, I, just, I feel like this is sort of cheating okay. because there's a record for longest hair. And it's like, oh, I'll just cut the side of my hair. And now I've got the longest mullet, even though I have no chance at reaching the longest hair ever. Ah, but, We're creating but, new uh, world records. I, I don't. I don't love it's it. It's one thing to devote yourself to the world's longest hair because there's different things you could do. But if you got a mullet, you're pretty much you're boxing yourself into a corner there. Uh, the one thing I'll say is, Chad, you, you mentioned it, uh, and uh, Tammy said when she's not breaking records, uh, she is a public health nurse at the Knox County uh, Health Department. So okay. I wonder if that includes visiting the prison. She will wear a braid. <laughs> it took her 33 uh, years to grow this. Wow. It's called dedication. It feels like it should be longer after 33 years. Yeah. I don't know why I'm so unimpressed with this woman and her mullet, but I'm just really turned off by the whole thing. I'm just I more feel surprised. like it should be even longer after, th- after 33 years. I lived in Knoxville for basically nine years before I made the move out here to join OutKick, and I have not seen this woman once in my life. So I'm kind of upset about that. We if only- this woman walked into a health clinic that you were at or any health facility – and she was the one with the syringe that had to take blood from you. Yeah. Would you allow it with that mullet? Yeah, I wouldn't see the mullet because it's business in the front, Chad. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. I- but if you saw her tail that was in between her legs, because that's what the mullet creates. She could throw it in, the, in this one photo. But if she's it's got the health the department, side, doesn't she have to like? But uh, it, does she have to put, put, put it up? Away? I mean, how big is the bun on the top of her hair? I mean, uh, if she does that, she's wearing a helmet <laughs> on top of it. I mean, it, it, I think I'd request a different nurse. Different healthcare worker. Have you ever done that? Requested, Requested no. Yeah. I haven't had to do that. No. That'd be very I, difficult for me Davey to do. Davey clearly has. No, I haven't. Oh, okay. No, I just try to get out of there as quick, quickly no, as possible. I, yeah. I, I would just fake being afraid of needles and say that I have, to, I have to leave. I'm having a panic attack. And come back another day. I'd find out her schedule when she's not working and come back on that day. What else, Davey? Uh, guys, I, I don't know if you heard about this. It's been going on. Uh, it, it was eventually found. I, I will say that, just given the, the spoiler away. But the missing F-35 fighter jet? Yeah. So this jet went missing Did for Alan almost 24 <laughs> hours. Uh, no, what had happened was they had departed from Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, the pilot uh, ended up ejecting himself due to, they said, a mishap or a... I'm trying to think of what the other word was. Emergency? Uh, They didn't end up using emergency, and they've been very, Hmm. uh, I I guess. Is this what happened to Goose in the first Top Gun? They haven't been very forthcoming with the information as to why. Nothing wrong with the aircraft, and then he ejected himself on purpose? Yeah. Well, mishap or malfunction in which the pilot ended up ejecting himself. Uh, They they did say, again, they've not been putting out a lot. Uh, There's a lot of answers that people are wanting to get on this this uh, stealth fighter jet. But the thing was, whenever it goes missing for over 24 hours, people are like, where is it at? At first there were rumors. It kind of goes back to the uh, missing sub where it's just like, is it sitting at the bottom of the ocean? Well, we later found out it was destroyed. We did find out this plane ultimately crashed, but there for a while people are thinking, I mean, it's in stealth mode. Uh, There's no way they're, they're able to currently track it. And it's either crashed into the ocean. There was even one theory that it, managed to get into space and is just outside of Earth's atmosphere. 
Is the pilot alive? Yes. Okay. Uh, that that's the other funny part of the story is uh, when he ejected the parachute, just landed in a residential area. So it's just there's just this pilot that's just ejected himself, just going in into like somebody's backyard. But they couldn't find the air, the aircraft. It's just in the ocean. Until right? well, no, that's what everybody was thinking. They eventually found it 24 hours later, and it was in a rural area and had obviously it was just debris is what they found at that yeah, point. Yeah, so after it, it just crashed in the perfect spot where no one saw or heard it. Yeah. It, okay. That, that still blows my mind that you don't, that someone doesn't see. I know, something falling plane, from the sky. Yes. Yes. And and finally, it's a guys. Big country out there. Yeah, just, I mean, it landed in a place where someone would see a UFO. Speaking yeah. of UFOs, uh, we had talked about the alien bodies that Mexico had presented before its Congress. Yeah. And a Mexican report comes back and says that there was no human assembly involved in these aliens so again it's like i I think of it as a i think you should leave it's like we're all trying to find the guy who did this and tim robinson just pulls up it's like yeah we we know it's you guys were doing something (laughs) well as to what extent what is this outlet that reported this that there's no human assembly done it was a mexican the mexican researchers oh okay all right good researchers or idiots a lot of things I want to say right now. Jose is uh, Jose Benitez yeah. of let's Mexican have, Navy let's have Steven Spielberg Research Institute. I go to he Mexico for all my alien he research. discovered ET. Not Mexico. Not, the, not Peru. Or the world's experts on fake aliens, the Mexicans. They too.